This is the Life in the Front Office podcast. I want to first thank all of our listeners to making this a success and helping us continue to grow. We bring on sports executives and professionals from around the industry, all different aspects of the industry, to provide insights and advice for those who are trying to enter the sports industry or those who are already in the industry just looking to learn something new and continue to get better. If you like our episode, please rate us on Apple Podcasts, leave a review, and visit our website at lifeinthefrontoffice.com for more episodes. Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jay Kirschman, and I've got a fantastic guest with us today, Mindy Bach, along with my co-host, Pat Gallagher. And I just want to first start off by saying, Mindy, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on for our 75th episode. Um, oh, wow. Really excited to uh, get into episode 75 and our last one of 2019. Um, we're, you know, we've done, Pat, actually 60 episodes in 2019. So um, kudos to the, the group and um, really excited to dive into your career, Mindy, kind of what you've learned over, over your journey so far. And then what you're doing right now and, and where the you know sports media uh, landscape is heading and trending. And by tomorrow and whenever this episode is released, it will have changed. So uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll take it with a grain of salt. But without further ado, welcome to the podcast, Mindy. Oh, thanks. much for having me do I get like a plaque or a prize for being number 75 is there like you know, <laughs> we can figure that, that okay <laughs> we should have, you know what we should have some sort of an award for the yeah. for this for, for yeah. doing this I mean you know we, we're not we're not we, there's no gold gold watches yet but uh we'll um we'll figure something out yeah. and it's uh um maybe it, it's as we told you the 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 audience we have are people who are interested in the sports business part of it. It may be interested in doing it. You know, it could be their, their avocation, but interested in maybe making it their vocation, but also people kind of all over the sports landscape. So that's who we're really, you know, who will be listening to this. And, uh, you know, I, I'll just start off. I mean, you, you, you know, you can, you do a research into somebody's background. I mean, you're a very familiar person in Northern California. You grew up here in Chico, um, and you got interested in sports, but it wasn't through team sports. You, you were, you were a participant and you were a swimmer. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. When I was younger, I, I played all different kinds of sports. I played volleyball, which I loved, played soccer, you know, recreational soccer, which I really enjoyed and played that till I think it was about 12 or so. And then did tennis. But if you've ever spent a summer in Chico, you don't play tennis outside very long. And so that naturally <laughs> yeah. led me to the pool. I really enjoyed swimming and the camaraderie of all the swim meets in the summer and all the little towns you would go to and everyone you met. And so that morphed into um, a passion of mine. And then I was able to take it to UCLA and swim at UCLA and uh, earn a partial scholarship there. And that was great for me, you know, really got to see sports at an elite level at that point, because growing up in Chico didn't really get to attend a lot of professional sports. We went down to a couple of earthquakes games and crazy George, I've known him, he was part of my childhood, uh, but mm. didn't really go to a lot of Giants games or A's games or even 49ers games, mostly college games when we could, because um, it was a haul and uh, you know, when you're in a larger family, we had four kids. It, it wasn't always easy to get it, get away to those games, but really got the appreciation for that through my own sports background, uh, through college and, and beyond. So, Mindy, you know, you you spent some time with with the NBC Sports, um, you know, being broadcaster, anchor, 
tell us a little bit about kind of where you started, how, you know, from UCLA to, to where you are now, what was kind of in, mm-hmm. in between? Oh, gosh, Jake, I think I've worked for every Bay Area company (laughs) (laughs) since, you know, that's kind of the course of media. Uh, In short, uh, after UCLA, I went out and I was a little, took a little bit of a break, was a ski bum in Colorado, loved it. But while I was out there, I worked into community broadcasting and put together a couple of community events. And that led to um, an application to grad school at Northwestern. So I did go to graduate school at Northwestern for journalism. I really enjoyed that. And part of that was going back to Washington, D.C. to cover um, the nation's capital for actually a paying, subscribing media outlet. So I worked for the NBC outlet in Madison, Wisconsin. And I thought I was going to go into hard news, not hard news, really business news is what I enjoyed, but I thought I was going to change the world. And uh, but one of my stories out there is I covered Jim Carrey, who at the time was a rookie goaltender for the Washington Capitals. And I put that on my resume reel. And that is what caught all the attention. And (laughs) as much as I kind of wanted to go into uh, news and, and business reporting, it just naturally led me that way. I love the Olympics. I had a lot of friends that were on the 92 and 96 teams and just my love of sports. I realized I didn't have the stomach for news, murder, death and mayhem. So I had to start it out in a news, hard news background, but quickly always added sports. So came back to the Bay Area after grad school. I actually worked for Sports Channel Pacific, if you remember that. Hey, I'm sure I, Pat I still, does. I've got some of their T-shirts still. Yep. You know, I was po- <laughs> we were part of that with the yep. Giants. We're part of Sports Channel Pacific. Yeah. Yep. And I worked with Glenn Kuyper on an A's recap uh, program. They took a whole game and cut it down to 30 minutes, and I was horrible. I was so boring. It was just – it was awful. And uh, But they put it on air, so <laughs> – <laughs> it was a good learning experience. And then from there, I, I started producing. I went to work for NBC during the Olympics, went up to Oregon and got my small market experience covering news and sports up in Medford, Oregon. And it was really up in Oregon that I started getting into football even more and more. I'd always enjoyed it. But high school football up in Oregon was huge and uh, started just jumping in and doing all of the high school football programs up there all the way up to the state championship game with the sports team. And we had a blast. It was so much fun and had a lot of uh, women, especially grandmas, come up to me in the grocery store saying, we've never seen a woman cover sports before and we like it. (laughs) And I didn't realize that it was such a big deal. Um, But then was able to come down to Sacramento, work in Sacramento doing sports and news and then Back to Sports Channel Pacific. It since became Fox Sports Net Bay Area. And I owe Ted Griggs, who was a former executive producer and then went on to become the general manager, um, the opportunity. He brought me to the Bay Area in 99. And I started covering the Giants when Dusty Baker was there, the 49ers when Steve Mariucci was there, and the A's when Art Howe was there. And it's been my home ever since. No, that's awesome. You got a chance, you got a chance to see, you know, you got a chance to see a part of sports that you know, a lot of people just sort of dream about. And uh, although it's it's not always a dream to to be in that position. And, uh, um, you know, you, talking about Dusty Baker and Steve Mariucci, I mean, those Giants and 49ers teams during that time had some, you know, had oh. some characters. And uh, um, <laughs> any stories about uh, uh, any of the people that you covered? On the, uh, it, it could be any of the teams. Of course, so many. I don't know if I should put them on the podcast, though. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, listen, you can, we, can say, we can say any word on this podcast. We have no advertisers that are going to yeah. cancel us. So, Mindy, you no, can say I'm anything really, you want. What I'm really grateful about those gentlemen, especially at the time, is that, you know, when you're jumping into a team and learning the nuances of a team, because every manager is different, and, you know, you have to pick your time and place. But I will never forget one time Dusty was in his office and he had his uh, toothpick going. And Jeff Kent was backing up um, – Barry Bonds and Jeff Kent was in a slump. He wasn't doing so well. And I made sure that nobody was around and I wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't being pretentious, but I went in and I asked Dusty, I said, Hey, you know, just, just for my own knowledge, kind of, what are you thinking? But when your reigning NL MVP is struggling in the cleanup spot and you need to get something going, how much longer do you leave them there? And it's kind of a loaded question to ask, you know, these are, these are egos and people and Dusty's only he can with that smile looked at me and chomped on his toothpick and said, stay tuned. And I think it was about three days later that he <laughs> changed, <laughs> you know, and he was willing to you know, entertain the question and knowing where I was coming from, that I wasn't there to, you know, I wasn't going to blast it out everything just for my own knowledge. What was he thinking? Where were we going? And, yeah. and Steve Mary, she did a lot of the same and Art Howe was fabulous as well. Um, so just learning the game through their eyes, but also learning how they managed, how they coached in their unique ways, which doesn't carry over to every team. Um, so just really grateful for that. Mindy, I got to ask in terms of developing that trust, right? Like, like Dusty's not just going to say that to someone he doesn't trust, but with Twitter and, and, you know, just the instant news today, um, with, with PR and reporters, like what, how do you gain that trust now where you could have literally been typing your tweet as Dusty said it and then hit send Mm -hmm. by the time you walked out of his office? Well, there's a lot of things that, you know, you build and you hold on to because of that trust. And that's how you gain it. You know, they will, they know your job and they know that they need to protect their players, their coaches. And so what they're going to tell you uh, could be not used against them, but could come out. Uh, But if you build that relationship and also if you always play it straight in your tweets, you play it straight in your reporting, meaning it's not judgmental, but these are the facts. This is what it is. Obviously, there are times that you have to give context. This is why this decision was made. Uh, But you put it in their words. It's not for me to decide. So it's just having conversations. And it's also through your actions, how you how you hold handle yourself and how you use that information and when you use it. It's not always easy. It's not always easy because there's things that they don't want out there, which you get, but they are part of the reporting. And I think uh, our good friend Andrew Baggerly went through a really, really difficult situation. If you remember the Melky Cabrera situation um, where he was given information that Mr. Cabrera had tested positive and he tried to get information from the team, but he knew there was only one way to get it. You know, he couldn't set it up or he was going to be shut out. And he uh, came to Mr. Cabrera and asked to speak to him privately and get some information and when he did you know the whole clubhouse turned around on him like how dare you how dare you how dare you but then it came out that indeed you know andrew was right you know he had the correct information and what he had been told came to fruition so you know you it's tough sometimes it is tough sometimes especially when it comes to people's careers and livelihoods so how is well and you get to you go behind the facade i mean meaning you know, it's what everybody's, you know, what, what fans see and what they do. And when you get when you go behind it, that is a you know, you're sort of looking under the hood of these organizations. I mean, some of the things just because somebody is a tremendous athlete, like a, a, a top level athlete, doesn't mean that they're a secure person, doesn't mean that they're not going through issues, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in their own lives. And 
is, you know, sometimes, you know, you, I, I know you, you have to you sort of have to button your lip things you might want to say, but the things Correct. that you can't Absolutely. Say. So it's, it is, it's, but it's also just maintaining that professionalism and what is truly important for the team and coverage of the team and what is accurate and just trying to play it as straight as you can. Um, and I think people respect that, even if it's news they don't like. And players, and players know, especially when they've messed up. Coaches have known when they messed up. And because when they make a mistake, it's on, on display for everyone to see. So it's also in how you ask questions, how you approach um, about what can be very difficult, difficult and emotional topics. I know I, I draw my swimming days. I know that I would work so hard to make a time or make a cut. And sometimes I just didn't reach it. And it was devastating. And so could you imagine being in the playoffs and all of your hard work every year is to perform in the playoffs and you have a bad performance or a bad outing and everyone sees that? Um, you know, I I get it. <laughs> so you still have to yeah. report on it. But yeah, I you've get been it. there. Is it from the from the PR mm-hmm. side and just, you know, that landscape within sports <clears throat> a lot of people just kind of see it as the person behind the desk on the you know the post game show or the or the person that's on field reporting you know we've had quite a few um you know Eddie Gill and Bruce Bowen and Shannon Ford and and Jim Cosmore on on the podcast mm-hmm. in terms of people who have have done that um you know in your experience what's what's easier what's harder in term in in that career and then um, what else goes on behind the scenes that people just don't know about? I mean, there's got to be so many different roles that go into the the whole mix of making this all happen, right? Absolutely. There's so many positions. I mean, from the executive producer, the producer, the technical crew, the director, I just, so many different things. For me, I loved being out in the field. And what I loved about being out in the field is just the chance to, you know, sit and talk to Bob Melvin, talk to some of the players, talk to, um, you know, Jim Harbaugh and, and players out there and get their takes on things. So you really understand kind of the culture and what's going on and why things are how they are. And so the worst thing for me, I didn't mind anchoring in the studio, but the hardest thing for me was to sit in the studio and do a pre and post game show for three weeks without ever having going out to the ballpark. And um, there was one time when actually Bob Melvin did send me a text. He goes, Hey, are we ever going to see you out here? And it's like, I agree with him. Like, I would love to get out there, but my schedule was such that, you know, I was doing so many different things, but when you go out there and you interface and you find out the true stories, you can be more accurate. You're also more knowledgeable. So you're more comfortable on air because you know what you're talking about because you, you have those connections and those relationships with people. So, um, that to me was the best part about the job. Absolutely. Is really understanding something, um, and if you ask a question and maybe it seems like a bad question, or you're not understanding it when you're in person, you can follow up on it and get some great information. And so, um, those are my favorite, favorite times. I think, you know, just those relationships make the better story, make the better content, no matter what kind of content you're creating. No, that's great. I, I, uh, Pat, I was listening to a, a, another podcast uh, the other day and, and the topic was asking great questions. Um, mm-hmm. and I have to imagine Mindy, that that is something that you try to become an expert at or become a pro at. And there's, you know, some go-to questions, right. At, and during crunch time or, or whatever it might be um, that, that are kind of your favorite or that, you know, that you might be able to get a certain angle or perspective on things by asking, how did you develop that over time? You know, is it still a work in progress? What is, what's your advice for those who, 
um, can use that skill? And then where else can you use that skill outside of just, you know, what you do for a profession as well? Oh gosh, it's always evolving. It's so hard. And especially as Pat knows, covering baseball players, you have 162 regular season games plus six (laughs) weeks of spring training, all the fall ball, all the whatever. I don't know how Bruce Bochy talked before every game, after every game, two radio interviews. That's a lot of baseball to talk. What question can you ask that's original? You know, it's like, it's so baseball to me sometimes is really difficult. And then sometimes you don't have to go that in depth. It's just a personality thing. It's a matchup thing. It's what are they thinking um, when they're facing this player the second time through the lineup or the third time through the lineup or um, just specifics like that. But yeah, I was always striving to find a good question. And usually I found the best questions are really trying to get the best response from the player's point of view. Like Linda Ellerby would always say, I want to know what it's like to be you. So one example that comes to mind is I watch Matt Chapman. Amazing, amazing defender, right? The platinum glove winner. I mean, he's just unbelievable. But sometimes he makes a spectacular throw and then I'll follow up with just a you know, turkey. Like it's just a way off line. It's like so off the mark. You're like, what's going on? How do you make a spectacular catch and throw? And then the next time you're you're sailing it over Matt Olson's head, you know. So I kind of wanted to ask him that question. But how do you ask somebody like that that question when overall defensively they're really <laughs> good? Um but I went up to him and I asked him, I said, can you explain to me kind of what are some of these things? Because there was a period of about three games over a period of three weeks where he would, he'd make spectacular play and then just a horrible play and error. And he's like, well, and he explained it to me. He goes, I play really deep. I love to play deep. That's where my game, I have a really strong arm. I rely on the strength of my arm. When I play deep, it allows me to get to more balls and cover more ground. But then sometimes I don't set my feet as well as I do. So I'll sail it. So he explained to me and where he plays really affects Um, how he throws because he plays so much deeper than most third basemen and covers more territory than most third basemen. So yeah, he's going to have some of those errors where he's just going to sail it. He's not the, you know, um, the Eric Chavez who had only five errors, you know, in a single season, he's, he's, he's comfortable with having more errors than that because (laughs) he gets so many more balls, but he also has so many more opportunities because of how he plays. And those are the kind of questions and that tells the story. So those are, you know, guys get guys get the yips, you know, the yips in golf, the yips sometimes. I mean, in baseball, I you got a chance to see guys who uh, had a difficult time uh, throwing mm-hmm. the ball to the pitcher. I mean, we, you know, the Giants had a couple of catchers who just had a difficult time making that throw yeah. to the pitcher. They'd either sail it over their head, and it was one of those things that was fixable, but it started to rattle around in their head, and it took, you know, a lot of, it really took a lot of time, but also a lot of time um, from a patient patient coaching staff to help um, yeah. to help fix it. And it, it it just proves that none of this stuff is as easy as it may look to. A, yeah, no. To a fan. And so the, and then to ask, answer the second part of your question, Jake, is just, yeah, I think asking good questions, even in my current position in any job and just being open minded and being open to finding out the information. I mean, that's the most important thing is don't be embarrassed to ask a question you don't know, you know, just try and get the information. That's the most important thing because you can't do your job if you don't have the correct information. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you talked a little bit about storytelling just a minute ago, and I want to touch on that because I think a lot of 
uh, at least through my experiences thus far, a lot of organizations are trying to figure out how to best storytell, right? Whether it's, you know, on the sales side, pitching, you know, pitching a, a sponsorship or the marketing message or, you know, trying to get a player's brand out there and tell the right story. Um, we can probably go on and on, but how has storytelling evolved uh, as you've been in the industry and, and where do you see it going? Oh, it's really funny you say that because that is definitely the hot word. Every single job listing and posting and everywhere you <laughs> see is storytelling, storytelling. <laughs> which so which me, I, will, like, I, will pause, I will pause and I will say that uh, <laughs> I, I went to the University of Redlands and we had the Johnston School that was a part of our, our university. And they had made up majors. I'm not joking. And, uh, you know, they, in the graduation pamphlet, they, ha- they would describe all the majors because there was only like, you know, 20, 20 kids in the program. And one of them said they wanted to be a professional storyteller. They majored in storytelling. Yeah. And my goodness, that person's got to be, I don't know who it was, <laughs> but they've got to be so successful right now because, uh, like you said, storytelling is the buzzword. It is. It absolutely. But it makes sense because look at this entire just explosion of social media over the past five years, you know, just five years alone. I mean, the big thing is how do you connect to people? You have to reach out and connect to them and the best content, the best stories, things that humanize, personalize, uh, just tell a story or even with a brand through a unique way. Um, that either entertains or informs that is good storytelling. And that is why it's so important because now everybody, it's not enough to just say, here are the numbers, here's the stats, here's what we do. Here's what we provide. How does it touch somebody? How does it change their lives? How does it, you know, make their life better or make their life more, um, they're easier. Just any, anything that you can tell that's an entertaining, informational, personal story that people connect with. That's how you build your brand. That's how you get information across. It's so important in so many ways. It's just those personal touches. That's what storytelling is because what makes a great sports story? It's, it's the human element of it, right? You just take those great sports stories in a way and you alter them to whatever story you're trying to tell. But the, the actual foundations of a great story are the same. So, Pat, you you were king of marketing. Um, did storytelling exist in that same format? It just had a different word or or what? You know, it was difficult sometimes. Is Yeah, you're always trying to tell a story. I mean, look, I was a, being a marketing guy. Uh, you know, I, there were a lot of Giants teams that I was in charge mm-hmm. of selling over the years that, you know, they just weren't very good. And so, you know, part of it was, uh, I hate to say it, but I, if, if – if the team was not going to be good, I kind of like to keep it a secret as long <laughs> as possible. So we could, so we, you know, I mean, it, you have to solve, like right now, a lot of people are complaining about the Giants right now. And, and they're going through a time, a, a period that virtually every type of a franchise goes through. But, um, you know, and, and my answer to all that stuff was, well, look, we're not going to lose any <laughs> games until April. Okay. So we don't, you don't really know what's going to happen. And, um, that's the, the, the great part of, well, the great part of, uh, amateur and professional sports is you can have people who follow it. They look at it. They, they think they know all about it. They, they can make predictions about it, but nobody knows what's going to happen until mm-hmm. it actually happens. And that's really the beauty of it. So it is a, uh, telling stories. Uh, if you're a, uh, if you're a, uh, a PR person for a team or a marketing person for a team or whatever you, you, you have, that's part of your figuring out effective ways to do that. 
and it's it's sort of difficult. I mean, the Giants have spent the last 10 years telling great stories, and he's done a great job about Madison Bumgar. You know, I mean, he's you know, you spend all your effort trying to trying to help your fans fall in love with somebody, and then then you have to he has to make a business decision um, to uh, you know to leave, which is really really difficult if you're a if you're a business person and you sort of you sort of understand how that works, but it's really difficult for sports fans to sometimes understand that. And I, you know, I sort of have a, I, I really have a feeling mm-hmm. for them. I have a feeling for all that stuff. So. How would you like to be telling so, the Raiders? Mindy, let me right ask now. you this. You, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it, it, you talk about the most resilient fan base of any organization in any sport anywhere. The Raiders, I mean, their team, you know, the Oakland Raiders fans, their teams, you know, turned their yeah. back on them twice and moved. And look, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not commenting so on, on the business decision, but from a fan standpoint, all you can do is to, you know, spend money. If you're a Raiders fan, you get, <laughs> you get your costume all squared away, but it becomes, it becomes part mm-hmm. of your identity. And so now this, organizations moving again it'll be interesting interesting to see how many fans make that transition and uh you know go to las vegas i mean it's not like like you said mindy it's not like baseball where you have 162 games uh you know football's a little more manageable as a fan but it's uh i i i feel for the for the city of oakland right now they they all of a sudden they're they're uh you know they're sort of left with trying to find mm-hmm. a new home for the a's if they can um Mindy, how do you tell the story regardless of the performance on the field? So, and I'm, and I'm saying that in the sense of like minor league sports, right? If you're a minor league organization, uh, I remember being in, in the, my first internship was in minor league baseball and the roster came out and we go, man, we got that guy again, right? Well, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, that you can't control the performance on the field or, or who sends, um, you know, what players to what affiliate. And so, the product is purely, um, you know, the entertainment, the family fun, you know, all that. So how do you tell a story outside of the players? Well, I think the players are the story most often than not, because all of them have such unique stories and backgrounds. What brings them there? You want to build that relationship between your fans and your players, even if they're not performing well. I mean, think of all the personalities that have been on the Giants. Why is Stephen Vogt so beloved? He was there, you know, such a short time. You know, why was Tim Lincecum? We know, obviously, because of his performance, but also his personality. Or you look at the background of so many different players and where they come from and their unique stories. You know, Barry Zito, kind of the the left-handed pitcher who fits the mold of being a little bit out there and he's the musician and comes with from a dad and mom who were musicians and his dad was a jazz uh, musician as well. I mean, you still can tell those stories by connecting people with people because that tells a story of the team and how many players or fans follow players, even though they go to different teams, they still like those players. So even if your team isn't performing well on the on the diamond or on the field as a whole, there's so many other stories though, that, that make that. And it really is the personalities involved. You just have to find those good stories or the good community involvement. We've seen the giants and the warriors and, and the A's, all of our Bay area teams are very good with that. You know, how they make a difference in the community, how they give back um, the lives and the kids that they touch through junior giants or through shopping sprees at the holidays or, you know, meals, what have you. 
so many different ways to connect the fans with the team and through those personal stories. It's personalizing it. It's not just always the wins and losses. So, Min, Min, so Mindy, you've made the big transition now. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your, your mm-hmm. move over to Oracle and, and, and being a sports director at Oracle. And, and you know, how, does that, how has that changed? Uh, why don't you just describe what your job is and what, what, what do you, you know? Yeah, so this is a new position that Oracle uh, um, created, and it's a sports PR. And so, yes, I am a senior director of sports PR at Oracle. And I think people within the building even were like, what does that mean? We've never had that before. But it's, it's a couple of different things, and a lot of it is storytelling. There is such a huge growth right now. It's exploding. You hear sports and technology, sports and technology. I mean, we have sensors now and baseball bats. We have baseballs, actually, that have sensors, and then they give you the spin rate and how hard they're being thrown. You know, you have all the type of analytics and machine learning and artificial intelligence that goes into game planning. The Warriors have done that, where they collected data and found out where the high percentage shots are for Stephen Curry when he's guarded this way by this player on this team. I mean, there's so many different ways that technology uh, affects sports. So this position here is telling Oracle sports technology stories, like who some of our customers are, try and get those stories out there. We're just we're just really kind of starting to build that portfolio because as I mentioned, this position hasn't didn't exist before the summer. And then Oracle also has a lot of sports partnerships. They have obviously Oracle Park, the naming rights to Oracle Park. They have a great great new um, sailing, professional sailing league owned by Mr. Ellison called CLGP, which are the fastest catamarans in the world. They're going to begin their second season in February. And the technology involved there is incredible. And then they obviously have some partnerships, um, you know, with the Warriors still. They have a lot of suites over there, a lot of hospitality things, but working with the Warriors. And then they have uh, other relationships with the 49ers and Sharks, though not as in-depth. So it's also handling some of those stories and partnership stories as they come up, but mainly just telling the customer story for Oracle and, and sports and technology. So kind of all, all over the place, a little, little bit there, a little bit here, um, but really just trying to build that sports portfolio for Oracle. Inventing, you're in. You're I really, yes, job, I am with really, the help right? of some very talented people here on staff. But um, we are delving in and trying to build an internal sports infrastructure. So yes, I guess you could say I'm leading that. I'm a sports, I'm a sports department of one. So <laughs> we have a we have a great sports marketing team because we also have a lot of tennis. Oracle is very very involved in tennis. Um, they have the Oracle Challenger Series, Oracle Pro Series. Mr. Ellison um, owns the land at Indian Wells, the, the BMP Paribas. That big, wonderful two-week tournament um, takes place. And so there's a lot for that. And we have a great sports marketing team that handles those events. And, um, and so I, I aid them when, when needed, if, uh, but they're pretty self-sufficient. And, but the main thing is just kind of getting those customer stories out and start building that, those. Mindy, in, in terms of being on the other side of the coin, per se, right, and, and not, um, you know, not working with, with the players you know, day in, day out, What's the biggest difference or what's the biggest shift in terms of skill sets or perspectives that you've grown um, to, you know, engage with in terms of, you know, if you're a journalism major or you're in um, social media or PR media communications now that someone else could gain in the corporate world and vice versa? What are what are some of those things that you've picked up on? 
Well, relationships matter. Absolutely. I mean, building those relationships, no matter where you are in your career and those steps and always reaching out to people, um, that is definitely carried over into my current position. And I just find myself the pace of production here is longer. You know, obviously, when I was a sports broadcaster and journalist, I could turn things every day and you have those relationships and you're putting out content every day. This is more long form takes a couple months to, to get things going. Um, you have to go through a lot of approval processes, working with a, um, a big, this is a big organization. So trying to wade through 137,000 employees, 400,000 customers to try and find those sports stories. It's also just learning how to navigate, not being afraid to jump in and ask questions. Um, you know, it's, it's really, you, you got to take charge of yourself and put yourself out there and hopefully, um, you know, and people, good people are willing to help. So that's, that's been the biggest adjustment in the corporate world, but really you just have to just stay on top of everything because information and ideas and projects come from all different areas. So um, it's a little more involved that way where with sports, you know, I had my teams that I covered, I had my relationships, I was always reaching out, but you kind of went to the same people to kind of find out what was going on. And now the, the breadth of knowledge I need to have is, is so much more. I mean, Oh my gosh. In sports, the acronyms are so easy compared to, <laughs> to the tech world. You know, ERA, batting average and all that stuff is easy. Now we're talking OCI and ERP and HCM and IOT. And oh my gosh, I'm Googling a lot of terms when I first started, you know. That's pretty impressive. Are you going to start doing some coding and stuff too? Is that part of your deal? or? No? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's, it, I will say this about, um, about you know, Oracle's made it up a significant investment in associating their brand with, it's not so much, it's with sports, but it's also with the people who mm -hmm. follow sports, you know, putting their name on, um, on the, the ballpark, having their name on the arena mm -hmm. for all that time, their incredible involvement in um, the highest level of sailing in the world. And plus all the other things they do that, you know, that creates an identity for the Oracle brand that, um, that's, uh, that's, that's yeah, really, absolutely. Really and, and people say, well, why do they do that? Because when you look at Oracle, it's not that a consumer can just go buy an Oracle product. You know, they're considered B2B, not B2C, which is another thing I've learned. So, uh, but the thing is, is that sports, so many people, no matter what industry you're in, no matter what your job is, everyone usually has some aff affiliation to a sports and can understand sports. And so it's a common denominator for a lot of people. So it's a great thing for a company like Oracle to, Oracle to, to be involved in and really highlight their technology, but also have it be a place where they can bring some of their customers and enjoy a game and also understand and talk over a sports game where they're seeing, you know, whether they're at Oracle park or even at the new chase center and, and connect with those customers over over sports and leadership. A lot of the leadership uh, qualities from sports carry over into um, the corporate world, especially into tech. Um, our former CEO who recently passed, Mr. Hurd, was very, very, very outspoken about just the important lessons he learned as a tennis player at Baylor and how he used those lessons all the time on his job. And that's a message that a lot of people take to heart. So absolutely, it's, it seems like a natural fit for a lot of companies and especially Oracle to be involved in sports because so many things, so many elements from sports and technology and big business, they cross over, they're shared and people can relate through sports. That's telling the story. Mm -hmm. um, as we, as we wrap up, uh, Mindy, I want to thank you for your time, obviously, and, and really enjoyed the conversation today. But uh, as we kind of wrap up the episode, I want to uh, tell the story in terms of 
put yourself back in, in the pool back at UCLA. And if you think back to your time there um, and you look at where you're at now, what would you tell yourself back then uh, that, you know, something that you wish you would have known? Oh my gosh, that's a hard one, Jake. Uh, oh my I gosh. know it's a loaded <laughs> question. <laughs> I think I would have said, um, Oh my gosh, where I am now. That's really hard. I don't know. Because, you know, when you go into sports media, there's not, there's no single path. It, it, you know, when you join a company, usually, you know, there's a progression, there's a career progression and you get promoted and you can go to different places and be promoted in sports media. There's not, and I wasn't exactly sure I was going to go into sports media back then. Um, but if I could go back and, and really think about it, um, I think I would be going to venture capitalism. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a true that's a true bay area person talking right there exactly <laughs> yeah, the, hey mindy there's not a lot of stock options in oh, no. sports not at know? all <laughs> no 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 and the industry is really flipped it's really um there's been just so much change just rapid change over the past couple of years so um the job I, I get a lot of young people asking me you know i want to do what you do when I was a sports reporter, I'm like, that no longer exists. It, it's changed. It's morphed. It's, it's so different now. Um, so you need to set your own path and find out what it is. I give them some suggestions where to start, how to start, but really it's, it's not the same. My path doesn't exist anymore. The passion and interest in sport, your passion for what you do and, and that sort of interest. I mean, that's it, it, people who are looking to get involved in sports you know, they and they sort of make that transition from it being something that they do as a fan to something that they might do, you know, to, to make a living out of. Um, it's and you're right; those things are changing. I mean, you talk about the people who not just who are behind the microphone, but how about your colleagues that are writing, are uh, who are photographers, mm -hmm. people who have had these traditional roles. They're, that whole business is changing, and and when the needs for what they absolutely. Do is I mean, you've you've seen it that all the teams now. Before, you know, when I started, the media covered the teams. Well, now the Giants, the 49ers, every professional team has their own production studio, in house, and they they tweet out all of their own information. They break their own news. They also stream live their training camps and have first interviews with their players and their coaches. So the media can't have that access that they do obviously the teams have the best access and they control that message the media are still needed but the numbers have dwindled drastically plus the players are putting out their own information their own stories they're controlling their own social media pages through instagram and twitter and not so much on facebook at all but um, on snapchat and things like that and so then the fans can go directly there so the media really is, is just evolved and struggling the the best thing that still gets a fan's attention are live games that there's still the element and the fun and the spontaneity of a live game that fans love but now most people watch it with a phone in their hand and they're following twitter at the same time you know to get that instant uh reaction and also updates from the team and um and other players watching the same event as it goes on so definitely the whole industry has changed it's had a major effect on sports journalism as we've seen a lot of my colleagues have lost their jobs and morphed into other positions um, just because of the nature of how sports are presented now. Well, Mindy, we, you know, certainly appreciate the insights and um, I think it'll, I think we can all agree. It'll certainly be fascinating to see how long the buzzword of storytelling uh, lasts and, you know, kind of where it goes and what it morphs into and, 
and what the you know the, the PR and the media side of the industry becomes. Um, but certainly looking forward to having another conversation with you in the future. Uh, I know, uh, Pat, we are excited to you know get going with 2020 and and get to that hundredth episode. Uh, maybe we'll get maybe we'll get like a what a gold watch for a hundred. What are we what are we doing? <laughs> hey, wait 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 wait. Slow down slow down a little bit. <laughs> no, but thank you. Thank you for your time and uh, certainly enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you so much. Happy holidays to you both and the best to you in 2020 and the new year. I want to take the time to thank you for listening to Life in the Front Office. And if you liked our episode, please rate us on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We greatly appreciate it. And for more episodes, visit us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on our website at lifeinthefrontoffice.com. And please continue to share uh, with your colleagues on social media and help us continue to grow. Thanks.